0: Hello, welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Tuesday, January 4th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lakin. Here with me today is Tony Greer, editor of The Morning Navigator. Hey there, Tony.
1: How are you, Maggie? Happy New Year.
0: Yeah, same to you. Happy New Year. 22 is uh, certainly going to be action-packed. We've seen that already in the first couple of trading sessions. Another interesting mix of news today, some of yesterday's winners were today's losers, right? Tech stocks down, the Nasdaq, the biggest loser of the major uh, indices down about a percent, actually over a percent. The S&P 500 did hit a new entry day high earlier, but couldn't hang on as we saw that tech selling the yield, meanwhile, on the U.S. 10-year edgery, uh, Treasury edged up to 1.66% after the Labor Department reported a record number of people quit their jobs in November, 4.5 million. And oil rallied with Brent above 80 and WTI at about $77 a barrel. Um, Tony, going to do something a little different today and start off with a question because uh, we got we have a great one from Goncalo on the exchange. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name, but um, they're asking- Do you think that energy is up because maybe big hedge funds are deleveraging, and as they were long tech short cyclicals, maybe that's short covering that's behind this? Or do you think it's the beginning of a big rotation year? What do you think about that, given the action we saw today in the market?
1: That's a great setup for today's uh, market action, actually, Maggie. You know we're seeing a massive rotation today into natural resources out of technology, as you said, in terms of the energy question, oil question. Um, yeah, it could be there's certainly some leverage, uh, excuse me, some measure of uh, portfolios out there that are probably short some of the cyclical stuff like commodities WTI, expecting a more deflationary scenario. And probably still left over from the last 10 years, a lot of technology on their pad, right? So, you know, when you come out of the gates in 2022 and the break even five year makes a statement like it did yesterday, breaking above all major moving averages, you know, closing on the highs, really, really um, continuing to be that beacon of inflation for the markets that it's been. That kind of set the tone for me yesterday, right? that That was a significant move. Two-year paper once again goes bidless while five years break evens are breaking out. We touch eighty basis points in the two year. As you astutely point out, we're at one seventy in the ten year now, yields looking like they can break even higher. Um. So yeah, the market is telling us right now that it's expecting that inflationary environment to follow through from last year, which is really a story about you know it's a commodity story. You know, it really is, Maggie. We've seen a lot of strength underneath the commodity markets, and they keep bubbling up every time we have a de-risking. So yeah, I think that um, traders are starting to get positioned, whether it's for the first quarter or for the whole year. They're piling into natural resources today. That's for sure.
0: So this feels like it has some staying power, because I think that, uh, you know, when they're asking that, they're kind of wondering, is this a beginning of the year, just kind of temporary repositioning? You see this this rotation trade as something that has staying power?
1: Oh, man, I think it's going to be with us for a while, and I think it can get violent at times. Matt, yeah, I really do. I mean, if we look at the tape today, I've got enough evidence of, you know, there's there are as many two and three sigma breakouts in natural resources as there are two or three sigma breakdowns in technology. Right. So these are when I see major magnitude moves like this, it tells me more that we're at the beginning of a new paradigm rather that the than at the end of one. So, when I look up today and I see, you know, at the top of my leaderboard, we've got John Deere that just came out with an autonomous um, tractor up 6% today. Then we've got financials, JP Morgan and Bank of America up on the top of the leaderboard. We've got Halliburton and Schlumberger in the oil services space, we've got ExxonMobil and Oxy in the e space, Morgan Stanley, XLF, these are all two sigma breakouts. And I think that this is going to set the tone here. Because on the other side, most importantly, in addition to there being large magnitude moves on the downside in technology, mm-hmm. these moves are doing some serious technical damage. Like these are not two or three sigma moves to the downside that I want to stand there and catch the falling safe. Right When I look across these names, Shopify, Cisco, Snapchat, Twitter, the social media sector, Right, a lot of this is undoubtedly part of Joe Rogan's media revolution that's taking place outside of our door right now. But a lot of it is the rotation out of technology. And like I said, these stocks are dangling into new lows. These aren't falling back into support. They're not consolidating. They are taking the message from the natural resources tape. And from bond market based inflation expectations and saying, for now, we're out of here. Yeah. I, I think that I think that portfolio managers, after the last 10 years of being positioned really heavily for deflation and then getting bailed out at the end of last year with the, you know, we had that big Omicron sniffles dip. Uh, right after Thanksgiving weekend that everybody panicked over. There was a lot of de-risking. We saw it right in front of our face, big tick index prints on the downside, a lot of stress in the markets. We spent you know the last couple of weeks of the year with the VIX around 25, 30. And that, that was really people just saying, OK, we've got to lighten up this uh, rotation here. So now we're seeing the exact opposite of that, getting right back into that natural resources led type of movement. And because big tech is such a heavy weighting in the S&P right now, that probably leads to a little bit of a negative move in the broader index, right? But if you're in the right sectors, who cares?
0: Yeah, that's really important, right? Because so much of the action was driven by those big tech names that when you're looking at the indices, and we saw today, the S&P 500 hit that intraday high that got pulled down when we saw that selling in tech. But if you're not exposed to that the big market, then it's a different story. It looks very different for you.
1: Exactly, exactly. And if when I look back, Maggie, at last month, you know, we just spent sort of the month of December um, with a lot of volatility. And it was interesting to see that all the dollar index had to do was back off 40 basis points in December to set the Bloomberg commodities index free for a 3.5% rally, largely led by metals and mining stocks. We had oil and gas up 12% in addition, aluminum up 7% last month. Grains up 4%, grains leading today. So these are the stories that keep reiterating themselves. And these are the ones that I'm expecting to keep showing their face this year.
0: Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
2: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-ads.com.
0: I'm I'm glad you brought up metals. I, I had the chance to sit down with Peter Brandt of Factor, who talked about his outlook. Uh, for 2022, including his forecast. We hit pretty much every asset class, including precious metals. And he said something really interesting about silver. Let's have a listen to that.
3: You know, of all the markets that I trade, I'm most constructive on silver, as a matter of fact. My biggest position right now, not counting real estate that I own, live in, rent, uh, not counting kind of retirement equity positions, not counting a pretty good chunk. I have, chunk I have in Bitcoin is in silver. I really like silver. Silver has come out. If you look at the chart of silver, you look at a weekly or monthly chart of silver. You know we emerged back in early 2020 from a big base. Uh Silver prices are cheap. You know, we were at $50 silver back in the 70s. We're at $50 silver back in the 90s. You know, we're at silver right now. We're in the 20s. We're in the mid-20s. I think silver goes to 30 this year, possibly to 50 next. And then I think silver has upside from there. And so when I look at gold and silver, I prefer silver. Uh You know, I, I think silver is kind of... call it the altcoin, the altcoin of metals, right? It's the one that's going to give you the big volatility in both directions. But I think silver prices are very reasonably priced. I think silver has substantial upside potential from where we are. I own silver. I like silver. I'm bullish silver.
0: And that entire interview is uh, available on Essential Plus and Pro Tier. So much good info uh, in my conversation there with Peter. But I'm curious, Tony, to get, to get your thoughts. I know you watch the metal space really closely. Um, what are your thoughts on silver? Are you also bullish? And if not, is there something you like better?
1: My thoughts are I'm rooting for him. <laughs> You know, I, you know, Maggie. It's for for me. I continue to point out that you know, precious metals are struggling in a tape where natural resources are not, and you know that, that that may mean that people have thrown in the towel. It may mean uh, it may be a positive thing where there's so little interest and they've been left for dead that eventually they wake up and surprise everybody. Um, but my perspective is, you know, after the last year, just look at it that we've seen so much headline inflation, right? I look over, and silver is 24 Mm bucks, And after a year that we've seen so much headline inflation, I look over, and gold is $1,800. And I keep joking that that's an evergreen tweet. Like, look, there goes gold through $1,800. (laughs) It just bobbles around that price. And so I don't have as much passion for it as he does. With any luck, I'll jump in and catch the trade if it starts going, because I'm not going to take my eye off of it for sure. I can just find other things that are- Performing better and doing better for my book than gold and silver right now, and that's what I'm all about.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. A um, curious one. Peter and I started out the conversation talking about currencies and the dollar because his feeling is if he doesn't get that call right, then everything else, it, it you know, it, he can't he can't execute on any of his other trades if he doesn't understand that macro call. Um, what What are your thoughts? Are you watching the dollar? Does the same apply for you?
1: Yeah, it does apply. But I got to tell you, Maggie, let me put Peter at ease a little bit. We just came out of a year, 2021, where the dollar index rallied 5% and the Bloomberg commodities index rallied 27%. Mm. So, in my 30 years of trading, I haven't seen too many episodes where we have a really, really robust dollar move like that and commodities just leap out of the gate. Right. So, I'm saying, you know, while I'm not as favorable towards gold and silver as Peter is, um, I don't know. I would, I'm not going to sweat too much. I'm not going to sweat dollar strength too much this year, right? It's going to be something where dollar strength means my commodity trade is probably going to work. Dollar weakness means the, my commodity trade is going to be blowing my hair back. We're going to be flying so high, right? I mean, th- that's just how it's been going yeah. as evidenced by December. We finally get one month where there's a pullback in the dollar index Obviously, at the expense of the euro, the yuan, and the Aussie dollar, but commodities are up and gone. Right, they're not waiting around. So, you know, that's that's my sort of uh, speedometer on the commodity trade is the dollar and the break evens, right?
0: Yeah, it's interesting, and and he he's also I think fair to say also uh, thinking thinking of them separately, maybe in this case, but bullish on the dollar and not influencing, you know, um, his commodity also able to be bullish. Um, certainly on his on his silver call and um and some ag commodities. So um it, it is a it is a really interesting time and maybe some of those old tenants not really holding true in this environment for now. I want to get to a question um from Jim on the exchange. Great, great questions today, by the way, coming in um from the viewers and listeners. So thank you so much for that. And if you have any, pop them on the exchange or or put them on uh, On the site um, or or in the comments section on YouTube, Jim asks: Are institutions underweight energy because of their reluctance to invest in a sector that's not viewed favorably in the ESG arena? Do they now have to revisit that decision and increase their exposure to oil and gas, essentially play catch up?
1: That is a great question. Um, To me, that is my long play in sort of in sort of. uh, In the crude oil space, is that you know eventually the big E and P companies, or first of all the the large cap E and P companies, are going to stay alive through this ESG period that we're in right now because they're going to pivot to carbon capture, right? They've got all the tools necessary, and if we don't start with carbon neutrality from the source of pulling the oil out of the ground, we're never going to get there. So they're doing the right thing. They're long carbon credits. They are. have gone into the business line of carbon capture and storage. And so that's, I think, going to keep them afloat for this ESG period where, yeah, Larry Fink is telling people to get out of fossil fuel stocks because we're not going to capitalize them. So I think the longer trade for me is to sort of figure out how to stay in these names for when the world realizes that they're still going to be the source to pull the gasoline out of the ground. And last I checked, gasoline demand is pretty strong globally right now, despite you know muddling through the virus, the pandemic, the lockdowns, all the nonsense. Gasoline demand is pretty strong, given that situation. So in a fully reopened scenario, man, gasoline could pick up and go really fast because we've got growing demand and shrinking inventories. That's a, that's a story as, uh, as old as it gets, right, Maggie?
0: Yeah so but you're saying that you 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 are I don't think taking comforts the right phrase but you are watching what they're doing in the carbon capture uh, capture space as as their transition play so you're not scared off by the by the ESG mandate because of what they're doing in carbon carbon capture rather easier for them to do than me to say but you yeah, got
3: me
1: they're cooperating right maggie they're doing the responsible corporate thing and staying alive in the periods of you know um Stress and and times when there aren't you know the whole markets aren't going for them. But talk about how out of favor they are. I mean, E and P stocks have been the are the smallest percentage that they've been for fifty years mm-hmm. in terms of the, their presence in the S and P. So I still think we have a long, long, long way to go on the upside if they're going to come back into favor. And I think that that can happen whether or not we're successful in our you know, carbon neutral by 2030 plan mm-hmm. or sort of whichever global plan you want to go by. I feel like no matter what, we're going to be kicking that can down the road, whatever the carbon neutral deadline is, because I think it's just going to be harder and harder in reality to get there as hard as they want to mash it on the tape. So, what I think is that you know e n p hangs around through this whole entire period, and then, man, if we get through this and realize that it's just not going to happen as fast as the establishment would like it, where we're all on electric vehicles, et cetera, et cetera, I still see a really, really bullish scenario for the e and p companies
0: <clears throat> I want to ask you something about we, we you know we had the OPEC meeting today and some Ford news. I want to get to that, but um we have a question. Since we're on this topic from Oliver um, from the site, are, are you long the carbon credit trade? We just talked about the companies getting into that business. Are you playing there yet, or are you waiting
1: I am are outside your area. Yeah. No, no, no. We're, it's, it's in my area. It's a really popular topic in my Slack channel. We talk about carbon capture and storage, car, KRBN all the time. We talk about it as it relates to the European energy crisis that's going on right now, which has obviously gotten a little bit of a reprieve from um, some warmer than expected weather. So natural gas isn't flying up through 200 euro per kilowatt hour again this week. It's rather been cut in half. Which is a big relief for them, but um, yeah, I, I think that these are these are going to be the names that you have to stay in, you know, throughout this process. And then you can look at the, you know, carbon capture. I don't want to get away from that. It's a tricky, tricky trade, Maggie. Right mm-hmm. in 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 looking at it from thirty thousand feet up, seeing how there's still a humongous balance of industrial companies that have to go carbon neutral. It's hard to think that the KRBN carbon credit ETF can back off much. Mm-hmm. Right. We've got a lot of companies out there putting a lot of carbon emissions into the atmosphere that are not carbon neutral yet. So they're the natural bid in KRBN, right? At some point, they've got to figure out how to neutralize their carbon emissions. So I think that there's going to be a natural bid to the markets. Um, You can see when the ESG picture sort of fails and comes apart, and Europe comes under heavy stress, and electricity prices are flying through the roof, the carbon credit trade backs off because everybody starts to think to themselves, hey, are they going to be able to force this on the tape, this carbon neutral by 2030, or are they going to have to, like I said, kick the can down the road and say, Okay, we've got to ease up. Because we don't have all the resources at our command to put the, to build the whole electronic infrastructure, so I'm kind of waiting to see how that pans out. A big failure in the ESG policy, or or a perceived failure by the markets, is what I'm looking for as a final entry level. To KRBN. So, yeah, I'm hunting KRBN from the long side, but I'm kind of in the weeds with eye black on my face and I'm kind of waiting for an event to knock it into my wheelhouse so I can put some bids in and buy it on the bid because you can't buy it right now.
0: I love that visual, Tony. That's great. That's a great one. I want to talk a little bit about both. So, it's interesting this. Juxtaposition between you know what's happening in the oil markets and then that ESG trade came up again today because we had OPEC meeting. going can increase production, but there, it looks less clear that the members can actually deliver on that. You know, how are you? If we, I think we have a chart of WTI. How are you feeling about the oil trade? You know, do you see upside? Is there something you're targeting? What do you see happening there? First off,
1: I'm with Byron Wien, man. I'm a hundred dollar bid i you know I, I really don't see how uh how we get out of that scenario given given the situation right now with rising demand, shrinking inventories, squelching um you know uh exploration and production, we're not putting new rigs in the ground you know the scenario keeps getting more and more bullish for crude oil, if you ask me um you know the most late you know the latest development. What I I cling to when I hear OPEC is the Bank of America call over Thanksgiving weekend, coming out of Thanksgiving weekend, I should say, their response to the Omicron de-risking at Bank of America was to say, just so everybody knows, we don't think that Saudi Arabia has got the production to be able to control spare capacity. Right. So if they're taught, you know, that was their call that said, you know, the world thinks that Saudi Arabia's got four to five million barrels a day of spare capacity with which they can really control the oil markets. Mm -hmm. Bank of America saying, we think that's more like one and a half, two million barrels, and it ain't enough. Mm -hmm. So I'm clinging to that call because it looks like that's what's transpiring on my screen. It looks like that was a really timely, well laid out call that they had sitting in their pocket and maybe rushed out into a de-risking to say, hey, guys, we're the other way here. We're not We're not into this oil sell-off at all. We think higher. So I respect that kind of call. And in as much as it's working, I can keep going with it. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it. I'm on Bank of America's side in terms of what's going to happen to the Brent market most specifically as it relates to OPEC. And then that'll filter across the pond, undoubtedly.
0: And it's interesting because, as we see this move up in oil, and the chart, really, if you go back to you know to twenty twenty and you're looking at uh, you know, if you're looking at what's been happening, we've seen a big move, right? So, um if you look at that, uh, and then you see Ford, what's happening in Ford, up eleven percent today, right? News they it's it's on the news that they plan to double production of. It's all electrical, f one fifty. You know, lightning pickup. So you see this sort of, you know, you see this action in the ESG that would presumably be an ESG play. Um, Those two things can happen at the same time, I guess.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, what we see, you know, what's good for Tesla is going to be good for the electronic vehicle market. And then when Ford comes out and confirms that they're going to be playing ball, I mean, I think that they could be a tremendous competitor for Tesla. You know, given their infrastructure and ability to uh, make large numbers of cars, um, you know, this is not a move that I'm fading at all. Absolutely, this is all part of what we should be looking for, right? It, you know, in the ESG trade in the in the near term. You know, we're gonna see all of that electronic vehicle infrastructure and all those names and producers, those are gonna rally. We're going to see carbon credits rally. We're going to see natural resources rally alongside them because without aluminum and copper, we have no electric electric platform. So I think this is all part and parcel of the trade that we're looking for to happen. I'm certainly not I'm not bullish for it, but I'm certainly not going to fade this move. I don't have any opinion on it whatsoever, other than it should probably work its way higher if Tesla is working like it is on such, you know. Not, I won't say meaningless data, but you know they're they're putting out you know several hundred thousand car, uh, cars a quarter, where you know Ford puts out a couple of million. Mm-hmm. So you know, they, I don't think that they're really competing for real just yet. They're just the front runner in the space and getting all the attention thanks to Elon. So we'll see what happens. Let's see what happens. Yes. It's a tricky trade. I kind of stay away from that direct electronic vehicle trade in terms of putting my dollars at risk, Maggie. But I'll talk about it all day.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. And the move in oil, by the way, not 2020 from the mid part of last month yeah, um, is what was what I think our chart was saying. And I was trying to get out of my mouth. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
2: You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-ads.com. Um,
0: so, so we have, a, we have a, a, a question. We were talking, I'm just going to zip back because I, I want to make sure we get it. We didn't talk about it in the, in the metal conversation, but any thoughts on copper? Copper you know, copper comes up, interestingly, um, a lot of times when you're talking about China and the outlook for China's growth. And we saw not only a million new COVID cases here in the US, but really China's still locking down ent- entire cities. You know, that calls into question w- what we're trying to understand about what their growth outlook is. It's tough. I don't know that a lot of people have an awful lot of visibility on that. How, how are you viewing copper?
1: Um, well, I'm viewing it separate from COVID. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, want, I want to make sure that that's clear. I, I, the, market's, the market's done with COVID. Mar- market does not care. After after the bounce back that we saw after the Omicron sniffles dip, you can come out with three more variants, and the market's going to go, Haha, those are nice, right? And, and we're just not going to react to those anymore. So I'm keeping those separate. Copper, I'm a little bit of a broken record, Maggie. Um, copper- has looked like it has going to curl over several times technically over the last year and a half it has not been able to advance on the upside much through its historical highs around 10k and so i think it's just in a holding pattern right now it's i, I wouldn't short it with the queen's money but you know i can remain constructive to copper because like i say over and over we're going into this electronic vehicle platforming um, stage with no copper inventories on the shelves. So if they want to build all this electronic inventory, they're going to have to pay consecutively higher prices for copper eventually. You know, so while while it's not happening now, I haven't been long copper as a commodity in quite a while because it hasn't been given the signal that it's going to go anywhere. I've been staying long metals and mining stocks in freeport MacMoran. Which are doing okay, but it feels like you know they have a little bit more upside in them with the equity rally right now. So we'll see what happens.
0: Hmm. Are you looking at agricultural commodities at all, just just out of curiosity?
1: Yeah, my my clients, I've got my client. I've suggested to my clients to be upsized in DBA, um, the ag ETF, for months now, mm-hmm. and that is really just a corollary trade off of the energy trade. With energy being about a third of your cost of food production, the longer energy and gasoline stay up here. The more upward pressure it's going to put on soybean and corn and wheat prices and livestock as well. And now, with this cockamamie story about Biden going after meat producers for price collusion or whatever it is, I mean, you know, now we're going to start to talk about price controls, which generally place value in markets where markets would not find value. So, trying to sort of put a cap on livestock or a cap on cattle prices or a cap on um, live hog prices is something that is usually going to backfire in the face of the person that's implying those price caps. So, you know, I'm I'm not looking forward to how this is going to play out. This this to me rhymes with Barack Obama boarding the coal industry and sort of turning the lights out. So, I'm a little bit nervous about what's going on in the cattle markets right now.
0: Yeah, that that came up. That's come up in some of our meetings, and um, and came up in my conversation with Peter Brandt as well. Um, uh, not not the policy as much, just just outlook for beef. Um, we I don't I, I don't know if you're watching this. It's a, a sort of niche question. I'm gonna throw it out. Uh, it's from Noah on the exchange in reference to your ESG and resource views. Any thoughts on the recent Rio Tinto acquisition of the lithium mines in South America? Is that something you, that you that's on your radar?
1: Um, vaguely, I saw the headline go by. You know, Rio is one of the members of one of the ETFs that I'm long, so that helps. Um, you know, I'm not—I I don't really drill down into individual names unless I'm a specialist in it, Maggie. Mm-hmm. So that certainly sounds like the right strategic play. Right to to get your hold on some get your hands on some lithium production as we head into the electronic vehicle play yeah. you know maybe, maybe sort of streamline some of those operations maybe make them a little bit more economically friendly um, you know dress them up a little bit and and maybe we can keep going down that road.
0: Uh, fair enough. And uh, for those who who missed it uh, earlier, you know the videos live on on Real Vision. We had a really in depth dive look. Uh, on all things related to EV battery, rare earth metals, with Chris Berry earlier this fall. Um, so go ahead and check out that video. It's not going to comment directly on the Rio Tinto acquisition, but it's going to tell you everything you need to know about uh, lithium. Um, you know, we have some very philosophical uh, comments and questions coming in from from Fred. Who can we truly believe about market direction? And Oliver, do you think anyone actually knows for sure? <laughs> it's it's starting off those existential questions, but there are a lot of cross currents that we have to get through, Tony. When you're sort of you know creating your strategy, I know you come at it from a from very much a trading perspective, but you know, how are you kind of thinking about your portfolio and especially when it comes to navigating You know, the Federal Reserve environment, the interest rate environment, which is feeling a lot different. And it's something some people, frankly, if they're newer to the market, have never experienced.
1: Yeah, I'm sticking with my mantra of the Fed is inflating assets. And if you have assets, you're gonna be okay. Right. That that's kind of the the starting point. Um, in terms of sort of, you know, the the philosophical questions about the market, I mean, I'm a last sale bro type of guy you know so so that that's who you should be listening to in terms of where the market is going and i think it's most important to sort of develop a secular view so that you wake up with that view in the morning and not say okay which way am i going to be today bullish or bearish right I tend to wake up bullish every day and see what's going on, because that's what the market has done for the last 30 years of my life, the last three years of my life, the last three months of my life, the last three weeks, three days, three hours, three minutes, it's all going up. So that's why I wake up bullish every day. And I think if you establish, decide where you want to be, I'm not telling you, you have to wake up and have the same view as me. But I think if you wake up with that view, that gives you the freedom to say, oh, stocks are coming off. That's great for me because I'm bullish. I get to buy them, right? Not, and not always be in that, oh, no, stocks are coming off. That was the top. That was the end, right? I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a fool's errand right there, right? So you have to figure out how to say, OK, stocks are rallying. I understand that. Stocks are pulling back. I'm bullish. I understand that. That's part of the dynamic of market, right? We trade the offered side. We trade the bid side. And we wind up where we wind up. And so, you know, that that's kind of my approach for the year. And I mean, I'm really excited about one of the most vicious rotations that we've ever seen. And if the first two days is any inclination and for what we're in for, I'm not going to say for the whole year, but let's call it the first month of the year for my purposes. Man, we're going to be off to a good start, aren't we?
0: I love it. It's so good to get our first uh, Tony Tuesday underway for 22. Tony, thank you so much. I know you got to run. Thanks to all of you for watching. Um, I'll be back the same time tomorrow with Diaries Dale. Until then, the conversation continues on the exchange. Take care and good luck out there.